You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Well, uh, since I do know the play uh, intimately, I guess you can say, I probably have a different take than most people. It's a love story. I'm Kevin Blyer, the host of The Backdrop, and that was Ruben Santiago Hudson setting me straight on what August Wilson's Jitney is all about. From my opinion, the way I directed, the way I see it, what I think is the strongest force in it is the love story. Ruben is, among many other things, a venerated actor, a Tony Award winner, and for our podcast purposes, the esteemed director of Jitney, the very last of August Wilson's iconic century cycle of 10 plays to find a home on Broadway. And Wilson is, of course, one of theater's greatest dramatists, the winner of two Pulitzer Prizes for drama. Upon his death in 2005, the New York Times called him an American master, the great chronicler of the 20th century, and Broadway's Virginia Theater was renamed the August Wilson Theater in his honor. His play, Jitney, is the story of Becker, Becker's son Booster, and their counterparts at uh, Jitney, a gypsy cab depot in Pittsburgh in 1977. Actually, there's someone far more qualified to explain. Um, My name is Francois Batiste, and I am playing Booster in August Wilson's Jitney. Jitney centers around a group of individuals, uh, brothers uh, from uh, different backgrounds, and they have all come together in this uh, Jitney station to to earn some extra money and uh, try to make ends meet uh, by by driving different individuals to different destinations. And um, that's basically what they're doing. Um, but there's a plot that uh, August Wilson has woven in so beautifully, and a lot of it centers around fathers and sons and a young couple who have a two-year-old child and uh, this young man is trying to uh, get himself together and pinch his pennies together so that he can buy a house so that his family can move out of the projects and and uh, have a better foundation for his two-year-old son Um, so there are so many different storylines that are woven into the fabric of this beautiful play Booster, his character, comes home to find things have changed quite a bit since he left. The depot, the regulars at the station, the neighborhood. And after time in prison for murder, so has he. That's the story. But like many of Wilson's plays in the century cycle, Jitney is about many things. Homecoming, class struggle, race, gentrification, reintegration after incarceration, big stuff. And it shows August Wilson's legendary prowess in making the common man as monumental as the kings of Shakespeare. Or so I thought. What he does is he shines a light. That's Reuben again on Wilson. He magnifies the, the, the salt of the earth man, the, the, as we call the common man, but it's not the common man. That's the hardest working individual in the world. That's that person who, who goes out every day and fights tooth and nail, gives blood and sweat to protect his environment, to protect his family, to protect his integrity. And so what August does is when you say makes them a king, he didn't, they were kings, but you need a, you need a kingdom to be a king. You can't be a king. You know, we're not, you know, even uh, the Emperor Jones went and found something to be a king of this is mine, you know. Claiming things doesn't make you a king. It's the way that you you handle the power that you have. You handle the the position that you hold. You handle uh, the responsibility that you have. 
And, and that, that makes you a king, the way other people treat and look at you. You can't make yourself a king. So when August takes people that are, are storefront preachers like, like uh, uh, in piano lesson, Avery and halves for his for his women for his woman he would for Bernice he would come in and would challenge uh, a demon uh, not even a demon a ghost uh, you, but he's the elevator man during the day but in this play he is going up against the most unknown mysterious possibly powerful thing that you could even imagine uh, he becomes I guess royal in that respect that makes him royal in a way that makes him royal in the, in the sense of being a full man and having extraordinary integrity, that kind of royalty, not the superficial royalty where somebody puts a, a crown on your head. It's, it's the crown that's being put on your head from life, the way that you conduct your life. They were kings, fair enough, but it still takes a playwright to make monuments of these men, does it not? Well, um, I think what we get when we read August Wilson is that he had the ability to make kings and queens out of garbage men and waitresses. Uh, there's a sense of nobility that you find within these characters. As Shakespeare might have said, some garbage men are born great, some waitresses become great, and some show their greatness simply in the way they conduct their lives. It needn't be thrust upon them. One thing's for certain, August Wilson was a king of the theater. At the time of his death, he was generally considered the American Shakespeare. And his widow, Constanza Romero, told me that just as it takes a Shakespearean actor to do justice to Shakespeare, it takes a special quality of actor to make the cut. Well, when August was alive, we were talking about whether we should cast somebody or not cast somebody. And uh, I just all of a sudden said, I don't think they are Wilsonian enough. And he said, Wilsonian, you know, his, his eyes lit up. And I said, yeah, Wilsonian, you know, like you have actors that are Shakespearean. You have actors that are Wilsonian. And since his passing, I have uh, called the actors that I feel are, you know, have been with August in his, in the room with him and that have done many, many August Wilson plays. I call them Wilsonian warriors. There are actors that have come up. You know, for example, I had seen uh, John Douglas Thompson in a production of Joe Turner's Come and Gone in Los Angeles at um, the Mark Taper. And immediately when I saw him, I said, oh, my gosh, he is a Wilsonian actor. And when we were trying to figure out who to cast for Becker and Jitney, I mentioned him. And he came in for an audition. And the people at... MTC said, you called it, you know, he's perfect. So there are actors, you know, Andre Holland, Brandon, and his uh, brother Jason, uh, they are incredible uh, Wilsonian warriors. So in all of these plays, there's always room for new generations. But it's it, another thing that I've been trying to um, to propose to many different places is the training you know just because you're a black actor doesn't make you good at doing august wilson might i ask you to this is too interesting might i ask you to elaborate just a bit on that what makes a wilsonian actor is there an element of their acting that is evident to even a casual or not so casual observer in the theater it requires musicality it requires 
you know, a, a knowledge of the cadence and therefore the culture. Ruben Santiago Hudson always uh, speaks about mother wit. And the mother wit is calling on your ancestors to tell you and inform you about our present day. And August Wilson characters don't take pauses, for example. They, they don't have an internal turmoil. Everything is expressed in words and they have, it has to be uh, as though they were in a, uh, a blues band. Everybody has their moment. Some people step back, some people step forward, like a saxophone solo. So that is one of the requirements, I think, is mastering the musicality and the cadence and the rhythm of the language. And I think another thing is, uh, Ruben has also said, how many people remember songs that your grandmother taught you? And it's also about appreciating and loving your culture, appreciating where you've come from and appreciate where you're going. Because August Wilson speaks about the history of the African-American people. And he also goes back in time to inform our future. So are you willing to take that ride? That's are you willing great. to take yeah. that journey? Jidney had a journey of its own. And Constanza also told me it's fitting that a play bringing closure to August's 10-play cycle on Broadway would be a play about, well, change. What do you believe is the question or the questions that you think Jitney asks? Oh my goodness, you know, um, there are so many. What is the worth of a neighborhood that has um, helped evolve so many people's lives? where families live there, businesses thrive there, uh, where the middle class and the lower middle class, you know, were integrated. In uh, Jitney, the Hill District of Pittsburgh, and this is set in the 1970s, is going through an urban renewal. It's not a gentrification, it's a renewal. You find this, there's backdrop of gentrification where they're their small businesses are being shut down block by block. Once again, Ruben set us all straight. Gentrification, renewal, it's not about what you call it. Well, it's always hope. You gotta have hope. But renewal can happen with inside the community. When you come and push a culture out of the community or try to destroy that community to build your own, that's not renewal for the people who you're pushing out, it's renewal for you. But it's, you know, it's gentrification to the people that, that, that you're coming in and you gentrifying, which, is, which could be a very positive word. Renewal could be a very positive word. It's what are we losing in the transition that's important. I spoke to Ruben and Francois and Constanza on the week that rideshare services Uber and Lyft, to some the Jitney drivers of 2019, although it's complicated, sued the city of New York for its clampdown on cruising in the busier parts of Manhattan. As I said, it's complicated. But ultimately, the concern? An argument over how much change is too much change. What would you say, as the director, is Jitney saying about gentrification? It's, it says that the, the, the strongest force is unity. When people come together in, in, for a common theme, a com, on common ground to save something, you really can't be stopped. You, if you, if you, the iteration that you're trying to save is somehow destroyed, 
or, or stagnated, you build another one. Uh, so, but the main thing is to come together and it has to be for a very, in a very positive reason and, and you become a very positive force. And I think right is ultimately going to win. So uh, because other people want to move into your community doesn't make them wrong. What makes them wrong is to push you out of that community. That's wrong. But to come into the community and to assimilate cultures and people, just don't destroy the community that's already there. And that's very important. And that's what we find in a lot of the gentrification is the community that's been built over hundreds or years or decades gets not only uh, pushed to the side, but pushed totally away. And, and some of the, the idiosyncrasies of the people that have, have inhabited that area or even founded that area, it gets lost. Whether people like to get, go around Marcus Garvey Park and, and play their drums on Sunday and all of a sudden you move in and say, I don't want that. The drums, that culture has to go somewhere or it goes away. So why should it be sacrificed because you want this area? So you know if you move into an area and they play drums on Sunday, then get ready to listen to some drums or go to a movie somewhere. <laughs> you know, or, or if somebody cooks food that you might not like to smell, you move into an Indian neighborhood. You can't go knock on their door and say, you can't cook that. I don't like the smell in the hall. You moved into this place and this hall is our common hall. And, and even though there's some fumes that might go, some smells that might go in that hall, that, that in our shared space, it was going in the hall before you took your apartment. It's an inimitable part of the place and it should be irreplaceable. It should not be sacrificed sense. because also whatever smells you have from your cuisine, I'm going to have to witness and experience that. And you know, something could be a real good thing <laughs> to taste something or smell something or feel something, even though it may be pungent uh, initially, it turned out to be delicious. Pungent makes the palate, as they say. Sometimes. You bet. <laughs> We can't lose. You know, you always build, look to build. It's okay to build new, better, stronger, more modern in many instances. And then when you look at the, 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 the cityscapes or the skylines of certain cities, and all of a sudden you don't see the beautiful buildings that were built in, in uh, you know, 1940-something, 1950-something. The buildings you want to move in in New York are these uh, pre-war buildings because the walls are thick, the foundation mm -hmm, is solid. Mm -hmm, There's mm -hmm. no cutting corners. They were built for soldiers coming from World War II and they wanted long, durable housing that would last and protect them from the elements. Then all of a sudden they start building up New York like you know, a certain name on the buildings that were taken off buildings over on uh, Riverside Drive. They, <laughs> oh, they sure. put up like cardboard boxes. You know, there's no, no one cares about what's inside the walls. Is it copper pipe or plastic pipe? But these old buildings, like the one I live in on Upper West Side, this is solid. This is solid, built to last. So if you're going to build something new in a community, admire and appreciate the architecture of the past, the culture of the past, the history of the past. So renewal, it could be a positive thing, but don't destroy the history, the culture. That's more important. I'm from the city of Chicago, and um, I saw firsthand how over a course of decades, Mayor Daley was doing that um, in the city of Chicago. Uh, in any major city, you can see how the common people, because of their location, is getting squeezed out and getting priced out of where they live now is becoming the, the fat of the land where industry wants to build. And you do find that in, in Jitney, no doubt about it. And also what, what you have, what, what August has presented us with is these men and uh, women who, who have revolution in them that say, wait a minute, this is our neighborhood. What can we do to hold on to our neighborhood? Well, I've got an idea. 
let's go get a lawyer. There are ways to fight these things. And, and that's, that's what, what he, he, he gives us. He gives us that, that opportunity that, yes, they are trying to shut down this neighborhood, but there are things that we can do. And uh, at the heart of everything that you find uh, captivating in an August Wilson drama or any other drama is the, is the fact that each character is correct. They are right. There you have conflict because they are right and the city feels that they're right in shutting them down. So there you have your conflict or this individual is right. Booster feels like he is right for doing what he did. And Becker feels that he is correct in what he did. So uh, there you find your conflict. Um, and August Wilson just has a, a, an amazing ability to bring the history and the present day situation and just marry it together because we're still talking about it. This, this play is set in 1977, but as you, you mentioned, it's happening in every major city around the nation today. And it happens in Harlem and it happens in Chicago, it happens in Detroit, it's going to happen everywhere. Um, thank, thankfully, um, we get an opportunity to share this story um, in San Diego, in Los Angeles, in Detroit, in Seattle, and hopefully beyond. But uh, people are uh, resonating with this piece in a, a lot of different ways. For many people that I talk to, it's the father-son relationship. And being a dad, I realize, and, and having my dad, being blessed to have my dad still with me, Every father-son relationship is complicated. I don't care if you deem your, your relationship a beautiful one. It's still complicated in some form or fashion. And, uh, and, and that is uh, really, it touches me every single night. That's the power of a great playwright. Well, I just want to add one more thing. That is that um, in the box set, Tony Kushner wrote the the preface or introduction to the play Seven Guitars. And to this date, there is no other written piece of work that gets August on such a, you know, just on such a elevated level than that piece that Tony Kushner wrote. Yeah. And yet his yeah. introduction was four hours long. I'm sure that's also true. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> exactly. By the time he was done with it, it was 24 guitars. We found that preface in the August Wilson Century Cycle, published by TCG Books, and Tony Kushner's description of Wilson that so gets him, according to his widow. Tony writes of his fellow playwright, he is, he was, a dramatist. His characters grapple with the retrograde motion of change, inevitable and ineluctable. Consonant or dissonant, they face the abrasions of progress and pay the price. And watching them, we learn about the role these opposite attitudes toward progress play in individual and social vitality. Both conservatism and progressivism, reflective or not of Wilson's personality and politics, are embodied full-bloodedly, dialectically, in his plays, in his characters, and their dramatic, occasionally tragic, conflicts. And for Reuben, these themes of change, renewal, the losses from gentrification, and yeah, the sound of drums and the smell of spices, that's August Wilson just getting started. It's a love story. From my opinion, the way I directed, the way I see it, what I think is the strongest force in it is the love story. 
not only uh, the love story of these people in the, their community, but the love between Becker and Booster that they don't know how to navigate because of the circumstances that have, have parted them, uh, separated them. They're trying to come together is very difficult because they really don't know how to do it, but their love is, is, is infinite. And then there's a love story between uh, Youngblood and Rena, Darnell and Rena, uh, trying to keep a family together in a real tumultuous time. In 1977, the Hill District of, of Pittsburgh, people scuffling, people being laid off, unemployed, and trying to find a way to do great as a, not only a couple, but as a family with their new child. So that those parallel love stories, I think, are the, are the, are the force of this. And then with gentrification coming in and the things that people can relate to, obviously, when it comes to the, in my opinion, less important things and how do you make a living, how do you keep your community together, which is very, very important, but nothing is more important than the love you have for the person that means the most to you. True for a playwright, a director, a jitney driver, or a king. Of course, it's the love these three have for Wilson and Jitney that brings us back to Broadway at long last. It had never been produced on Broadway, and it was my dream and Ruben Santiago Hudson's dream to put it on Broadway. Would you say that it was finally a sense of long-lived satisfaction or more of a long-simmering sigh of relief that they were all produced? <laughs> um, I would say it was... And I told you so. <laughs> uh, it was uh, a feeling that August had always always told me that Jitney is one of the most popular, most satisfying plays in the canon. And uh, uh, so when it went on Broadway, it was like, uh, you know, finally, it was it was uh, it was a celebration. It's really. A it's really a, a privilege to be a part of it. A celebration, a privilege, no doubt. It was also a huge success, winning the Tony for Best Revival, and recently as a celebrated production at Arena Stage in D.C. But for Ruben, it was a straight-up reckoning. Well, it was a journey that tested my will. That I had to question whether I was in even the right business. Because if I'm in, if I'm if I'm going in the room speaking in, to the powers that be about the writer a writer named August Wilson yeah an actor director named Ruben Santiago Hudson and I'm saying and I'm walking in with the financing and I'm just trying to get a theater to present and I can't get that I start wondering am I wanted in this business regardless of what I've achieved in my career you know over a yeah. hundred something plays you know and the things that I've achieved. And this writer has achieved this amazing, this brilliant man. Um, am I in the right business? I probably would do better selling Buicks. I felt, you know, I probably can convince more people to buy Buicks than to get August Wilson's play done. And it took me 11 years to finally get a yes. And when we got the yes, we took God shine down and said, listen, he got the yes now, pay attention. Here's the drama desk, here's the drama league, here's the outer critics, here's the Tonys. You know, it's like, are you paying attention? The, the young man might be right, or a little older, I'm a little mature man now, but he <laughs> might be right about August Wilson being on Broadway and, and, and him being in the position of director, putting together a cast and a presentation that, that, that people would, would, would you know, attend in huge numbers and applaud loudly. So why is it so difficult for me again to get the next August Wilson? Why am I 
push to the side. So I have to question whether my intentions are correct with, you know, in trying to shine the light on possibly the, the greatest American writer in the past two or three decades and being a part of it. Maybe I should step aside. So it makes me, you know, really tested me as, as an artist and as a human being, as a man. And, and I knew other things could be easier for me. And what kept me in the game, what kept me fighting was a promise that I made to August that I would do everything in my power to, to finally get the last of his great plays to Broadway and complete the cycle so he would have accomplished something that no man in the history or woman in the history of theater had ever done. Every play that they had written had gone to Broadway. Your resilience won out and theater is in your debt as it is in his. Uh, Ruben Santiago Hudson, thank you so much. I appreciate you so much. Jitney is currently on tour, as directed by Ruben Santiago Hudson and co-starring Francois Batiste as Booster, with stops in Detroit, San Diego, Los Angeles, and Seattle. All cities serviced by, you guessed it, Uber. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.